So um, this morning, we're continuing our Further Up and Further In series. If you hadn't, haven't been here the last couple weeks, I'd encourage you to go back and you can listen to the previous two sermons on the website. They're each kind of building on each other as, as we go. And so the first week of the series, um, the, the sermon title was Life with God. Um, being that uh, <laughs> in God's design, the posture that we were created and called to live with God is the posture of life with him. And we looked at other postures, and we'll review a little bit. And then uh, last week, we, we talked about life with God with others. Because life with God can't be lived in isolation. Life with God must be lived in community. That's the way he designed it. So life with God with others. For the rest of the series, um, beginning today, we're going to look at different images that the Bible gives of what it means to press further up and further in into his presence, and into relationship with him. So there's lots of pictures that the Bible gives for this. We're going to look at a few of ones that mean the most to me, beginning this week, which is into the holy place. Now, if you've been at Parker Ford, um, you might remember that I actually taught on this exact passage that we'll be in last year um, at some point when I visited. I think it was the summer. I can't remember when it was. Um, But I taught on Hebrews 9 and 10, specifically on the conscience. And in Hebrews 9 and 10, the word conscience keeps coming up over and over again, that Christ has sprinkled our conscience clean with his blood. And what what I said that morning was um, that I believe what the scriptures lay out is that one of the roles of the conscience is the connection between our minds and our hearts. So that that connector between the ability we think and we feel, we we experience God out of our hearts flow the light blood, um, it says in in Proverbs, and uh, we perceive things with our minds. So the conscience is is the connector uh, between the two. I'm going to look at this passage from a, a different angle this morning as we talk about going into the holy place and life with God. Now this was... One of those weeks as I was preparing for the sermon that was a little bit unusual because typically I have a, a pretty good idea of what I want to say. Like there's, a, there's an idea that the Lord puts on my heart and I want to build the whole thing around this, this idea. And this week um, was, was a real busy week for me. Good, good busy. Lots of stuff going on. And every time I sat down to work on my sermon, I, I couldn't quite get what, what exactly, Lord, do you want to say on Sunday? And as I studied and as I read commentaries and just prayed and that sort of thing um, to get get ready, um, what I sensed from the Lord was that he would give in the moment what he wants to say. So so this is one of those mornings where I'm maybe standing up here with my fly down, (laughs) that that image that Josh Josh gave, where, where would you just join me in asking that, whatever God says through his word, that we would receive it together, like in the moment, together this morning. Um, and I'd like to invite you into being part of that process. Because I could come up and I could list some truths for you. Um, and that has some value. But of much greater value than that, I think, is us learning how to sit together and hear from God in the moment. Because he's speaking. 
and he's here and he's present. So let's just pray and just invite the Lord to say whatever it is that he has planned to say for this morning. Would you join me? Lord, your word promises in John 10 that you are the good shepherd and that your sheep know your voice. So this morning, as we engage your scriptures, as we engage where we're at in this sermon series, as we listen to what's already happened this morning, the testimony that Tim shared about this pastor, Oscar, from El Salvador, and the way that you just wove that whole thing together, God. The way that you used Elsie's song that, that was written by a member of our body just telling us, reminding us of the love of God. And, it, and even in that song, it talks about going through the curtain into the holy place. You're already speaking this morning, God. And you say that your sheep will know your voice. So God, we pray that we would hear you and be present with you this morning. And we pray that it would be your spirit that speaks. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we'll start with a little bit of review. The four postures that are common that people uh, have in life towards God is life under God, life over God, life from God, and life for God. And I've said a lot about those the last two weeks. So this is just to remind you, if you want to learn more about that, you can go back and listen to those, or you can read the book With, which is an excellent book by Sky Jathani. God has not made us to live life over him or under him or from him or for him even. God has designed us to live life with him. Jathani says that the life with God posture is predicated on the view that relationship is at the core of the cosmos. Relationship is at the core of the cosmos. That is why God created everything that he created was so that he might have relationship with it. God the Father is with God the Son, with God the Holy Spirit. And so we should not be surprised to discover that when God desired to restore his broken relationship with people, he sent his Son to dwell with us. Emmanuel. How do we live life with God? We live life with God by moving out of contracts and bargains with him and back into covenant relationship with him and his children. So those other four postures, the life under, over, from, and for God, they're all attempts to bargain with God in some way, to have a contractual relationship with him where he scratches our back if we scratch his back. But Jesus says, well, the Lord said in Jeremiah 31 that he was going to set up a new covenant where it would no longer be contractual in nature, but he would write his laws upon our hearts. That we would carry the very essence of what it means to be in relationship with God on our hearts. The the psalmist, the sons of Korah, wrote in Psalm 46, verse 10, be still and know that I'm God. Another way to translate that would be, stop trying to bargain with God and know him relationally. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. The Lord of hosts is 
with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Life with God is meant to be lived with others. Then God said, let us make our let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then he says, let them have dominion. But the fall has alienated us from God first, which has caused relational distance. It's alienated us from ourselves. So it's difficult for you and I, and actually it's impossible apart from Christ, for you and I to even have a right relationship with ourselves. You ever get angry at yourself? Frustrated with yourself? You ever hate yourself? And say things to yourself about how much you hate yourself. This is, this is part of the alienation that's happened because of the sin nature and because of the fall. We are alienated even from our own selves. The fall has alienated us from others, which results in fear and self-protection and isolation. And the fall has alienated us from nature itself. As a man... I know that when I go and try to do what it is God has called me to do, the the work, that often the work produces thorns and thistles. And that I'm fighting against thorns and thistles. And my wife, as she produces life, it's not just all smooth sailing. It's actually deeply painful. It's painful to grow children. It's painful to bear children. So the fall has, has resulted alienation in so many different ways. But God has come to restore each of those things. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to restore our relationship if we go back with him first, with ourselves second, with others that results from that, and then even with nature. So we are called to once again have dominion. Once again, we are called to walk in authority. That's not domination. That's not authoritarianism. But we are called through Christ to live with dominion and authority. And this is possible because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. And the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. You cannot love your neighbor until you love yourself. You cannot love yourself until you've loved God. You cannot love God until you have first received his love. Beloved, we love because he first loved us. When we receive the love of God, we can be reconciled to ourselves and actually love ourselves in the way that God has designed us to love. And having loved ourselves, we can then be a funnel into loving our neighbor. Here's the thought. I don't think I've shared this before at Parker Ford, but um, my wife is awesome. I'm going to pick on her a little bit. Not pick on her, but... So if, if Julie um, says something negative about herself, she's speaking about my wife. Are any of you allowed to say something about my wife to me? Would I stand for that? Whether you're cursing her or saying something inappropriate? Of course not. You can't talk about her that way. She's my wife. In the same way, neither can she. She can't talk about herself that way. She's my wife. Now take that and transfer it to your relationship with God. If in your conscience and in your mind you're talking about yourself and you're saying, I'm just this or just that, or 
I, I blew it again. I'm nobody. Your God doesn't love me. I hate myself. That's, that's one for me since I've been a little kid. I hate myself. Like that'll play through my mind every once in a while. I hate myself. Like if I mess up, I hate myself. I'm not allowed to talk about myself in that way in Christ. I do not have God's permission to look at myself that way. Because I'm not just talking about me. I'm talking about Christ's son. Adopted by him. And reconciled by him. And forgiven by him. And loved by him. If you have a relationship with Christ... You are no longer allowed to live in nakedness and shame and self-loathing. You are not permitted to do that. Because when you do that, you are speaking about Christ's beloved, whom he laid down his life for. So take this very seriously. Consider the way that you talk about yourself. Because it matters to God. God cares about the way that you address even yourself. And when we can finally let go of the chains and the baggage and let it be true that God actually loves me and I make an agreement, a covenant with God and myself that this is true and I know it beyond a shadow of a doubt because you said it and your word cannot become against, then I can actually love my neighbor because I can look at them and see that same grace and mercy flowing through them that flows through me. But you can't fully get that picture of grace and mercy towards your neighbor, towards your brother, towards your sister, towards your spouse, towards your children, until you've done business with yourself and God. This is brilliant that God gave this to his people thousands of years ago. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of psychology, and there's some really good stuff that comes out of it, and all of you know counseling and all, all the practices... It all comes down to what God has given us. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love as I have loved you. This is how we live life with God. By covenanting that type of love. Agreeing with his covenant. Letting it be so in our walk with him. Life with God requires both solitude and community. You can't just walk out your life with God alone. You have to walk it out with others. Last week, we didn't have time for it, but we were going to look at Luke chapter 6, where Jesus, it says, he went up on a mountain alone to pray. And after spending the night alone on the mountain, he called to him his disciples. And then he named 12 of them apostles. And then after that, in Luke, it says, they went down together off of the mountain and they ministered to the multitudes, including both Jews and Gentiles, and they healed all who came to Jesus were healed. Now think about that. Jesus, walking out his relationship with God, he gives us the example of solitude, Alone, all night with God, doing business with God, listening to the Father, seeking after his voice. 
And then he walks it out in spiritual community with the disciples and the 12 apostles. And then they together as God's family walk out life with God into the world. I gave you the task of reading Luke 6. I won't have you raise your hand if you did it this week. But I would encourage you to look at that in Luke 6. See how God, through his son, shows us that life with him requires both solitude and spiritual community. It can't be one or the other. Anybody ever read Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Yeah, Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a a great thinker, writer, um, who died in a German uh, concentration camp in World War II. And he says this in a book, Life Together. I just think it's awesome, showing this tension of living life in solitude and, and community. Let him who cannot be alone beware of community. He will only do harm to himself and to the community. Alone you stood before God when he called you. Alone you had to answer that call. Alone you had to struggle and pray. And alone you will die and give account to God. You cannot escape from yourself, for God has singled you out. If you refuse to be alone, you are rejecting Christ's call to you. And you can have no part in the community of those who are called. But let him who is not in community be aware of being alone. Into the community you were called. The call was not meant for you alone. In the community of the called, you bear your cross. You struggle, you pray. You are not alone, even in death. And on the last day, you will be only one member of the great congregation of Jesus Christ. If you scorn the fellowship of the brethren, you reject the call of Jesus Christ. And thus your solitude can only be hurtful to you. Think about that for a second. Personalize it. You might be a person who wants to walk out every moment of every day with other people and you can't bear the thought of being in quiet and being alone by yourself. If that is you, my friend, beware. Beware. Because your relationship with God has an intimate component to it that can only be experienced in you and him alone. Up on the mountain, inside the closet, wherever it is that you and God meet, there is a part of your relationship with him that must be walked out in solitude. This one's tough for me because I'm an extrovert. And when I get alone and when it gets quiet, I have to discipline myself to sit in that space and not find someone or something to do or someone to be with. I have to discipline myself to know that there is part of my relationship with God that must be walked out with me and him alone. On the other hand, you might be a person who would rather not be around people at all because we're all a big pain, let's be honest, and we all hurt each other. And so perhaps you've been deeply wounded or perhaps just by personality or gifting, you would much prefer solitude and quiet. You'd live your life out in the desert like a desert monk if you had your, your chance. Or you'd live life alone in a cabin in the woods if, if you had, had your chance. Friend, if that's you, beware of being alone. Because your relationship with God cannot be walked out alone. It requires the body of Christ. 
God does not call you the body of Christ. He calls you a member of the body of Christ. You are not the body of Christ unto yourself. You are a member of the body of Christ. Your relationship with God must be walked out with others. We have to have both. Life with God alone. Life with God with others. By the way, Rosa has, is starting to put our notes on the blog. So the, the sermon notes, I've noticed a bunch of people taking pictures of them uh, the last couple of weeks and uh, emailing me and asking me for the notes. So don't worry. You can go on this week, later this week, and you can read that quote and you can follow along on the website. So thank you, Rosa. Appreciate that. All right. <laughs> so that's all kind of review, which that was a lot of review. So here. Here's what we have for this morning. This is the, uh, a picture of the tabernacle as laid out um, by God. And so um, there's seven important parts. We have the bronze altar, the bronze labor, the table of showbread, the lampstand, the altar of incense, the Ark of the Covenant. And then on top of the Ark of the Covenant, inside the Holy of Holies, what sits on top of the Ark? Mercy seat of God. And in the Old Covenant, under the Levitical Law, the Mosaic Covenant, where did God's presence reside? On the mercy seat. Who got to go in and experience the manifest presence of God? Who got to actually live life with God under the Old Covenant and and have his presence? The high priest. How often? Once a year. That's pretty exclusive. Once a year, one dude following the right rituals and sacrifices and even wearing the right clothing got to go in to the Holy of Holies and experience the manifest presence of God for a limited amount of time. And that was it. Who else was allowed in, inside the, the tabernacle? Like within the actual tent? Levites? Priests? Anybody off the street walk in? Now, there were all kinds of laws uh, laid out in Leviticus particularly, restrictions of what made a person clean, what made a person unclean. And I've talked about this before in our Names of God series, how God's healing, the healing that he desires to do, is closely tied to cleansing. Because cleanness, like spiritual cleanliness... Purity of the heart and holiness are intimately tied, which is why Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. In, the, in Leviticus, all the laws about cleanliness, don't eat that, don't wear that, don't go there, don't touch that, don't be with that person. The more that you removed yourself from things that were dirty and unclean, the more righteous you were considered under the old law, the more clean you were, and the more access or holiness you had, and more access you had to that, uh, to, to the presence of God. So the high priest would have been considered the most holy person as the high priest. And then you had the priests under him, and then you had the Levites, and then you had the 11 other tribes. And as you work yourself out from the high priest out to the other tribes, there's less and less access to the tabernacle 
and into the, the holy place, the holy of holies, the presence of God. And then if you move outside of that completely into the Gentiles, there's no access. There's no ability to, to enter in. Now, one of the things that restricted people from going into the temple or the tabernacle was, was physical ailments. So if you, were, if, if you were lame or blind or mute or deaf or had leprosy, you were considered unclean and you couldn't access the presence of God. Now, put yourself in that place. I, I want you to feel it. Feel it in your, your depth. Let's say we, this, was, this was our tabernacle, Parker Ford Church, and, and this sanctuary here is our most holy place, Okay? And you're a part of this church, you're a part of this congregation, and you're allowed, if you follow all the right steps and you're clean and whatever, you're allowed in in the Sunday school rooms, okay? And you're definitely allowed in the bathrooms, and you're allowed in the kitchen, because that's where community happens. But none of us come in here. None of us are allowed to ever come in in here and experience, you know, what what life is like, what, what it's like in here. Except one time, once a year, I get to come in as, as your pastor. And you all stand outside and you peek through the little windows while I do my thing in here. There's got to be a longing to experience that, right? Like there's, if you're, when we're outside and we're seeing someone else go into a place that we're not allowed to go, that we're barred from, there's got to be something within us that's like, I want that. I desire that. There was a Jewish boy who was born around the same time as Jesus. And this boy was born um, to a family that, that loved God under the old covenant. Loved him and followed his law. Their family was a part of all of the, the big festivals in Jerusalem. Every year they went to Pentecost. Every year they did Passover f- faithfully. They traveled, took their sacrifices. They followed the law as best they could. But they had a child who was born lame. And this child was never allowed into the temple when the family went in because he was unclean under the law. He was always barred from access. And and because this young man um, was lame, he couldn't get a job and he didn't uh, have the ability to work and uh, couldn't carry on the father's business. And so he ended up living his life just asking people for help. And he had some friends who every day would carry him to the temple and sit him down outside one of the gates as hundreds of people flowed in and out, doing business, doing life, going to sacrifice, whatever they were doing as they walked through the temple courts. He sat right outside the gate, unable to enter in day after day as people went in and out, and all he could ask for was money. He was barred from the access into the presence of God, how he understood it, and he was also unable to live a flourishing life being born lame. Maybe you know who I'm talking about. Acts chapter 3, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us! 
And the man fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Now listen to this. Listen to this, Parker Ford. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them. Walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. When you've heard this story before, what's been the major emphasis? The healing or the entering in to God's presence? This man was healed, not because he could stand up and walk. This man was healed Because for the first time in his life, he could walk in to the temple of God and experience God's presence. Now we know that God's presence is not held in a building any longer. It is not contained to a most holy place that is exclusive that we cannot access. Because each of us were born blind. Each of us were born lame. Every single one of us was born unclean and has lived an unclean life and would not be fit to go into that most holy place. But then Jesus came. Then Jesus came. The writer of Hebrews says this, Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness, for a tent was prepared The first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence, it was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail, although it would have been cool if he would have had the time. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. But into the second, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without first taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy place, listen to this, by this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing. What's the first section? The curtain, right? The curtain dividing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices were offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. But when Christ appeared 
as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from the dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Skipping ahead, thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things, the copies, so the the tabernacle that we looked at, to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made from hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, not to appear in the presence of God on our behalf or sorry, itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time not to deal with sin but to save those who are eagerly awaiting him and every priest skipping ahead to chapter 10 stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he is perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Brothers and sisters, that's you. For all, listen, verse 14, for by a single offering, he is perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. This is part of the business you have to do to make that covenant with yourself of God's love. When God views you, how does he see you? And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering of sin, And this is the point. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meeting together as is the habit of some 
but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. All right, here's the point. I think that what God would say to us this morning. Life with God means this. You have 24-7, 365 days a year access to his holy place. At all times, there is nothing that can keep you from being in the holy place of God. So if you are at work, and you're sitting at your computer, you have access to the holy place, the holy of holies of God. If you are walking around the block with your kids on an evening walk, you are in the presence of God and you have access to the holy place because of the blood of Jesus Christ. One of my favorite movies is The Chariots of Fire. And The Chariots of Fire is a really boring movie. And I get it and I know it's boring. But I love it. I love that movie. I love that movie. Because Eric Little, the runner in that movie, the Olympic gold medalist who loved God, he knew what it was like to live life with God. And there's this awesome quote in the movie where his sister is trying to get him to be a missionary in China. And he knows God's got a call on his life to go to China and be a missionary. But he's preparing for the Olympics. And so he says to his sister, I'll, I'll try the Scottish accent, Jenny, says to her, to her, Jenny, when I run, I feel God's pleasure on me. When you cook dinner tonight, you should feel God's pleasure on you. When you drop your kids off at the school bus tomorrow morning, you should feel God's pleasure on you. How do we live life in the Holy of Holies? A big part of it, I don't know all of it, but a big part of it is this. Realizing that coming together on Sunday morning is important, but it's just one aspect. You don't enter the Holy of Holies by just waiting for Sunday morning when the people of God gather together and say, okay, now we're in the Holy of Holies. Christ has put his Holy of Holies inside of you. You are the living temple of God. Which means as you walk out your day, every single day, you have a continual invitation from the Holy Spirit to press further up and further in. To experience his pleasure in all things. To feel his touch in all places and in all ways. I'm just beginning to learn the wonders of this myself. And I try to practice this. Where when I'm Wrestling with my kids, I think, I'm with God right now. Even while I'm throwing my kids around in the living room. And when I'm studying for a sermon, I'm with God right now. And one's not more holy than the other. And one's not more righteous than the other. In both situations, I get to experience God. And so do you. And Wonder of wonders in this new covenant. I don't have any more access to God's presence than you do. Even though I'm a set apart minister. You have complete access to God. Every bit as much as I do. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God that it's not just certain people at certain times. 
Because of the blood of Christ who has made your conscience clean. He has sprinkled you clean from head to foot. And even the way you think about yourself, your conscience. You have access to the Holy of Holies 24-7. What's your favorite thing to do? Think about it. What's your favorite thing in the world to do? Like the thing that you most love to do. You got it? All right. From this day forward, whenever you do that thing, do it with God. Let that be a starting point. All right, what's your least favorite thing to do that you have to do? You got it? From this day forward, when you do that thing that you hate doing but you have to do, do it with God. Do it with God. He will be faithful to be with you. His word says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Paul says, this was according to the eternal purposes that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Whatever those things are that you like and don't like doing and everything in between, as you're doing them, as you're living your life, even when you're asleep, God is with you. Even in your dreams, God is with you. You have boldness and access with confidence through your faith. And it all comes from this. And Jesus cried out, Matthew 27, 50, with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. He gave up his spirit. It wasn't taken from him. He gave it. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. In closing, I'm going to lead us in worship with one of my favorite worship songs. You might know it, you might not know it, but it's all about the holiness of God. And it's all about just standing in his holiness. So I would invite you to stand. And we're also going to take the, uh, thanks for the reminder, the, the offering. But while we stand and worship, certainly we're in God's holiness and his presence right now together. But we're also in his holiness and in his presence because of the blood of Christ and because of his spirit dwelling in us. We're in his holiness and in his presence at all times. And it's, in many ways, God has left it up to us to remember that and walk that out. And so I would just encourage you to take this song with you this week and uh, continue singing it in praise and worship throughout the week.